thank you, Aubrey and Donna. Appreciate that. Good words. And now the, yeah, the uh, two to five-year-olds want to go out with uh, Carol for Children's Church. They are welcome to do that at this time. All right. Well, we're continuing this morning in John chapter 14, kind of where we left off in the middle of the uh, outline last week. Uh, but Jesus' words uh, to his disciples at this point, remember it's the, the night that he is about to be betrayed by Judas, one of his, his apostles, one of his disciples that he has nurtured, he's spent time with. He's going to turn on him and, and turn him over to the Jewish leaders who want to kill him. Uh, he is going to go and be arrested. He will be given uh, trials that are not legal, that are, are not right. And he will go to the cross the next day, not just because they want to kill him, but because God, as, as, as Bill was saying, has placed the whole sin of the world on him to be, to be punished on our behalf so that all who will believe in him can have that payment for sin transferred to themselves. And as he gets ready to do that, you can, you can know that he's, it's already, we've already heard that Jesus is troubled. He's headed into the most awful experience that any human being has ever undergone on our behalf. As God, who, who can bear eternal punishment, not just temporary punishment. And you can imagine, if it were you or me, I think we'd be crying out, I just need you, you guys to help me out here. Men, you've been with me. Help me. And yet Jesus' whole attitude during this time is not one of concern for himself, but for his disciples. For them, this is, he's already found that he's told them back in, in chapter 13, uh, verse 33, he said, little children, I am with you a little longer. You will seek me, and as I have said to the Jews, now I am also saying to you, where I am going, you cannot come. And they've been shaken by that. They've been following Jesus. They've given their lives to following Jesus here for the last three years. And they are troubled. And, and back in the, in the first verse of chapter 13, it says that Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world of the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And everything that comes after that, you, you can just see Jesus demonstrating his love for his disciples and preparing them for the, the very difficult things that are going to happen, but then also preparing them because... After Jesus dies, of course, he, he's raised from the dead. And then he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father. And he wants to prepare them now for what life will be like after he is no longer present physically here on earth with them. In fact, chapter 14, verse 1, we see his focus where he says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe, be believing in God. Be believing also in me. In an ongoing way, in other words, the tense of the, of the verb tells us there. And so he's, he has their issues on his mind. In fact, it's interesting, all, all of the way he phrases things through this section 
are really from their perspective. I, I won't be with you for a while, then I'll be back, and then I will be away from you again. You know what happens in the gaps there? Oh, well, Jesus goes to the cross and bears the sins of the world. But he, he words things, he's, I know you are troubled by the fact that I'm going to be gone. Let me tell you some things that will give you encouragement and strength and prepare you for what's coming now and also in the future when you'll be carrying out ministry without my physical presence here. And we saw in the first part how Jesus talks to them about how he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he, and he talks to the disciples in those first seven verses, if you remember, how his union with the Father makes it so they know the Father. In the, in the first uh, number of verses are really dedicated to that idea that if you've come to know me, I've walked with you, I've taught you, we've had good fellowship together for all these, these months and years together, you have come to know the Father. Understand, if you know me, you know the Father. And so he's, he's helping them understand the riches that are be, have become theirs and even more so will become theirs as they walk with him into the future, even though he won't be physically present with them. And he challenges them that this relationship with him will make a difference in their lives. As we finished up last time with verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, there's going to be an outcome because you love me. It's not going to be a matter of, oh, if you, if you keep my commandments, then I will love you. No. He says, he's already demonstrated his love. He's going to demonstrate it more fully on the cross. He says, and now if your love comes back to me, it's going to change the way you think. It's going to change the way you ask me for things. That's the verses right before 15, right? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, in my name. As, as you, your will sinks up with mine, you'll be able to accomplish anything that's a part of my plan, which is what's best for you. You'll ask, and I will do things that will amaze you. As you are in sync with me, with my Father, and what it is we're accomplishing in this world. But Jesus is going away. And keeping his commandments in this world, and with people who are sinners all around you, and encouraging you to do things that don't go along with what Jesus is about, that's hard. How will they do it? Well, Jesus' following words, and even more yet to come, help us understand that. So follow along with me now as I read John 14, verses 16 through 21. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will, will no, long, no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. 
In that day you will know that I am in the, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. In other words, how is life possible the way Jesus describes it? Well, Jesus says, let me tell you about the resources that are going to be yours. First of all, he says, I'm going to ask that my Father will send you another helper. He's leaving, right? He's been there for them. He's taught them. He says, and when I'm gone, I'm going to ask the Father, and he'll send one who will be what you need. First of all, I just want to take note, I mentioned last time that when Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, he used a Greek word that means someone who is lower asking someone who is higher or more powerful than them for something. And that's what he he told them. You ask in my name and I I will do it. So you are coming to me as the one who has what you need. You come as one who is in need. Now Jesus, when he talks about, this is really interesting, when he, he talks to his father, he uses a whole different word for ask. Doesn't use that word of, of the lesser coming to the greater, but in fact, he uses one that talks about equals, asking something of each other. It was used sometimes of king, one king asking something of another king. Again, it's evidence that Jesus is in fact God. He's not praying as one who is lower, although Jesus did submit to his father, but they're of equal essence, they're equally God. And, it's, and they're in on this plan together. And so Jesus will ask the Father for a gift for them that would be sent to them. And here is how they'll be able to do what Jesus has just called them to be, those who love him and therefore obey him. He will ask for another helper. And again here, where the language is, in, is, is really interesting because there are two words for another in Greek. One means another helper of a different kind. Um, In in Greek, it's heteros. And so we're familiar with the word heterosexual, right? So a man and a woman come together, get married. That's a heterosexual, two different kinds of people coming together, right? But then there's another Greek word, alos, which means another of the same kind. That's really important here because Jesus isn't, we're not getting a downgrade by having the Holy Spirit come to us. Jesus was the helper of the disciples, and he is sending a helper, another one of the same kind. Just like Jesus helped them, the Holy Spirit will help them. And that that word helper, um, in the original, it means one who comes alongside. See, Jesus has been with them now for three years of personal and intense training. He's been been showing them what God's word means. He's been introducing them, helping them to know the Father. He's been showing them what truth is as the one who is truth, right? The Father will send the Holy Spirit to them, and like Jesus, he is one of the members of the Trinity. Your new helper will also be God. Not only that, he is a person. Notice that he talks of the Holy Spirit as he, not it, not an inanimate object, not some sort of a force, but the helper who will come is a person.
person. And that, that's really important because there are false religions that teach that the Holy Spirit is just this, this impersonal force. Wrong. The Holy Spirit is a person. He is like Jesus in his coming and his relationship with those who believe in Jesus. They're troubled because of Jesus' coming absence, but they will receive help from God who will be with them, the Holy Spirit. Now, your translation might not say helper. It might say comforter. It might say advocate or counselor. Uh, Some people would put the word strengthener here. But they're all wrapped up in that idea of why do you come alongside a person? And that's the way that, that was used you know, for a lot of different things. And sometimes it is. This person's going to give you the help and the strength that you need to be able to do what you need to do. Certainly that's wrapped up in what Jesus is talking about, right? Um, Paul uses that same word to talk about Jesus as our advocate before the Father. In other words, when we're accused of sin, Jesus stands as our lawyer, you could say, beside us and says, no, all of his sins, all of her sins, They were placed on me. Therefore, his condition is that of being righteous before you, Father. So in that case, it says Jesus is our advocate or our helper. And Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is going to be your helper, your advocate, your one who comes and speaks for you and helps you. And so he's he's going to be God with you in you, we'll find later, caring for what you need in this world in order to love Jesus and obey his commandments. Before the evening is over, Jesus will tell them that in this world they will have tribulation and that the world will hate them and the world will persecute them because they believe in Jesus. So, very important that he sends them a helper. They need help. You need help, right? I need help. And like Jesus, the Holy Spirit is help in the form of a person who's going to come, have a relationship with us, strengthen us, teach us, and give us what we need in order to be and to do what God wants us to be and to do. And it's not just a temporary relationship. As Jesus goes on, he says... He will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. What an amazing relationship. Again, it's about relationship, right? He's not going to be there for a while and then, oh, see you later. But in fact, he's going to remain forever. And and Jesus goes on to talk about him. Who is he? Verse 17, he is the spirit of truth. And just like Jesus has just said a little bit before this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, the one that the Father is going to send to you is the spirit of truth. The fact that the spirit will be in them is he is recognized as the one identified with truth as a great support for these men because they're going to live in the world Oh, what's, what does he mean by the world? Oh, well, it's the system that works in this world that's run by who? Well, it's run by the devil. Well, who is the devil? Well, Jesus said in John 8, 44, which we studied a while back, that the, the devil is a liar and the father of lies, right? Oh, so good that we will have within us God's Holy Spirit, who is the spirit 
of truth. So directing our hearts and minds into what is true and real and right. He is the light, right? Jesus is the light. The Holy Spirit will be that that light as well in our hearts to be able to see what is true and and what is right. Who better to have alongside us to help us in this world? I don't know about you, but these days I, I hear the news or watch things and, and you just shake your head, right? People don't see the most basic truths about life, about what is sin and what isn't, about what is real and what isn't, about how important life is, about just basically identifying what is a man, what is a woman, where is, is it wrong to hurt and to kill? But the Holy Spirit is there for us as believers to help us see that in God's Word and to process that and use it in the world. And Jesus tells his, his, his disciples that he is going to come. And verse 17 is interesting because as you read through that, he says, he says that is the, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides in you and will be in you. It sounds so much like what he's just been telling them about the Father. Remember, they said, well, show us the Father. That's enough. Jesus said, don't you know? It's about the relationship you and I have been having. If you know me, you know the Father. In the same way, he's really saying you can know the Holy Spirit, have an experiential relationship with him like you do with a person, with a friend that you go and do things with and you talk with and and you serve together with. And and the words he uses just all are kind of tied together. It's that that idea of knowing experientially. But he tells them that, yeah, this is a relationship, but the world can't have that relationship with the Holy Spirit. They can't accept him in. Why? Well, because they can't observe him. Uh, That word for see, it's more than just to see something with your eyeballs and have it come into your brain, but it's the idea of to observe and to look at with interest. It was used of a general who was uh, was reviewing his troops, looks at them with an eye to say, are these troops battle ready? Are these troops ready to do what we need them to do? He's looking with purpose, right? And he says, the world can't observe the Holy Spirit like you can. But believers can observe what he does and have a relational knowledge of him because he is sent specifically to believers, for them, to be their helper. He makes himself available. But he's a stranger to the world. See, it's not that the the Holy Spirit is not present where the the people who are of the world are. As God, he's present everywhere, right? Right? They cannot see him because they have no interest in him. They're not interested in in observing what the Holy Spirit is doing in this world. It's interesting that outside the Bible, the way this word is used, though, like that idea of the general looking, how many people are really interested in what God is doing in this world? How many people are just interested in Oh, well, what's going on that impacts me and gets me what I want? Isn't that really our hearts when we're without Jesus? Let me just figure out what gets me what I want. But when we believe in Jesus, suddenly things begin to turn and we think, 
well, what, what does God want? What is God doing in this situation, and how does he want to direct me? And he's saying, that's the difference of what's going on here. But for people who are of the world, it's as though the Holy Spirit isn't even there. It's kind of like radio waves. We have radio waves all around us all the time, right? But you don't hear what's being broadcast over those waves or see what's being broadcast over things in television or internet unless you have the device that takes that in and turns it into knowledge, to understanding, to experience. And that's what the world is like related to the Holy Spirit. It's as, like, as though he doesn't, doesn't even exist. I can't see any Holy Spirit. You see any Holy Spirit? I don't, I don't feel anything. I don't know anything, and I'm really not interested. All around us, there's no reception, no comprehension, no experiential knowledge of what the Holy Spirit is is or what he does because it starts with they don't believe and they don't love Jesus who sends him. But for further explanation, you might notice that Jesus says here to them, you know him. Maybe the disciples are like, what? You know him? Why? Well, because he abides with you. The Spirit has already been at work on their behalf and in there, and all around them. And Jesus, as he goes on in, the, in this, this teaching, will give, speak more specifically about the Holy Spirit later on in the evening, and we'll get to that later. But he's powerfully at work in their lives even now. The key way is that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus at his baptism, and Jesus has been faithfully living like human beings have to do in, in, in dependence on the Holy Spirit. So they've been observing a person who does things by means of the Holy Spirit, listening to the Holy Spirit, and therefore is in agreement with the Father. Jesus has been relying on him. And they've probably not even really been aware of what the Holy Spirit has been doing, but he's been there. And because of their belief in Jesus, they have been observing things happening that others around them aren't. And so Jesus says, you've actually been getting to know him and maybe not even realizing it. Now Jesus indicates that there's going to be a significant change take place soon. He abides with you. He will be in you. Wow. God will live inside of you, he's saying. The spirit of truth will live inside of you. So coupled with the fact that he will be with you forever, these words are of amazing comfort and should bring great courage to them for all that they have ahead of them. That's what Jesus intends for these troubled men. And it's interesting what, they have, what their experience is in the past, what they know about from the scriptures in the past. The Old Testament really only talks about a few people who are said to have the Holy Spirit come on them or be in them. Those people tended to be prophets, sometimes kings, and sometimes the Holy Spirit would come on them and he would leave. That happened with King Saul. It said when he became king, the Holy, that the Spirit came on him. But then later, Saul got all, about, got all interested in just doing things for himself, honoring himself, glorifying himself, doing what he thought was practical, and he was rejected by the Lord. 
And it says, the Lord removed his spirit from Saul. Then when David became king, the spirit was on David. And when David sinned, rebelled greatly in the situation with Bathsheba, remember what he was concerned about in Psalm 51? Lord, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So that Old Testament experience was some people, sometimes, but now Jesus is telling his disciples, he will be with you forever. He will dwell in you. Amazing things. Even the Gospels up to this point haven't spoken about very much about the Holy Spirit. Primarily, it's been with people who were involved with Jesus coming when he was born. Uh, we, we hear that Mary and Elizabeth and Zacharias and Simeon all have the Holy Spirit come on them. And we're not told if it's just for that moment in time as they needed him or if that continued or not. But most of the references in the New Testament, though, or, or I'm sorry, in the Gospels, are about Jesus himself having the Spirit come on him and him doing things by means of the Spirit. You think, oh, that's interesting. God the Son does things by means of the Holy Spirit. Yes, because he took on humanity. And he did things the way we're called on to do them. And now Jesus tells them that they will have the Spirit in them too, like he does. And he will never leave them. What a powerful revelation as they're troubled, as they're concerned. Jesus is going away. Jesus has even told them that he's going to die. And Jesus is going to tell them that they're going to have tribulation in the world. Well, what does this mean specifically? Well, Matthew gives us some more specifics that Jesus told them. One, one good example of what it will mean for the Holy Spirit to be in them. Turn to Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 20. Matthew 10, 16 through 20. <clears throat> As he here is as well pointing ahead to difficulties that they will have being in the world. It says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, but be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. But beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues, and you will even be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Hard things coming, right? Verse 19, But when they hand you over, do not worry about how or what you are to say, for it will be given to you in that hour what you are to say. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. As you need it, in those dire circumstances, Jesus told his disciples, when you speak, it'll be, it'll be the words of the Spirit. When you need them, specific to that situation, ought to be encouraging to them, right? As they look forward to what it is that, 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 that's going to happen in their lives. And then Jesus continues on and, and makes it even richer and deeper in verse 18 having spoken to them already about the Holy Spirit, now he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come 
to you. Jesus directly addresses those that in 1333 he called little children. Remember, he's concerned about them. And now he speaks to them like little children. He says, I'm going to go away, but it's not as though you're going to be here like a little child without parents. I won't leave you like that. You're not going to be on your own. First of all, he's letting them know here, I believe, that he will come back to them after the resurrection, which, of course, he does. And they get to have literal, physical interaction with him. And for a period of time, he will be with them and he will teach them. And they need to know this because of the trauma and the shock that his his crucifixion and his death and burial are going to bring on them. They need to know this in advance. It needs to be back there hanging around in their minds, right? But he will also be with them by means of the Holy Spirit after he ascends into heaven. In fact, remember when he, he goes in Matthew 28, 20, he says, and lo, or behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And then he ascends back into heaven. What do you mean you're with us? Oh, when the Holy Spirit comes, it's as though Jesus himself is right there with them, speaking and teaching and helping them understand the things they need to know. And he's promising that if it's to the end of the age, well, those disciples are all dead now, right? Well, who is he with? Who's this, I am with you all? Well, it also includes those who believe in Jesus through their word. That would be us. He is with us because those who believe in him receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is in you too if you have believed. To the, fact, to the point where, you know, when you get to heaven, if you're a believer, you will go to heaven one day. You will meet Jesus face to face. You realize you'll know him, even though you've never seen him before? Why? Well, because you've gotten to know the Holy Spirit who lives in you, right? And if you know him, you will know Jesus. You will know the Father. It won't be like, oh, yeah, I know your spirit, but who are you? No. It'll be like, wow, you've been walking with me all this time because for the Spirit to be dwelling in us, Jesus is abiding with us as well. And now Jesus fleshes out that the whole closeness of that relationship in verses 19 through 21. Again, he brings up, After a while the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments keeps them, and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose myself to him. And he just saturates them with the truth of intimate, close relationship between believers and the Holy Spirit and the Son and the Father. He welcomes us into that, not as equals, but as those who will benefit from that relationship and be blessed to know our Creator to know Almighty God. And he tells them, this is really basically the end of my public ministry. The world will not see me anymore. They won't be able to observe my teaching. They won't be able to see me healing. They won't be able to see me rebuking those who are sinful. 
But for 33 years, and especially for the last three years when he's pub ministering publicly, the world has been able to see him, observe him, get to figure him out as God in human flesh. And he'd mentioned earlier to the, to the, the Jewish religious leaders that his time was coming to an end, much like he did to his disciples. And we, we took note of this last week in John 7, 33 through 34. He says, I'm, I'm going to be gone soon. You won't be able to find me. You'll seek me, but you won't be able to find me because where I'm going, you cannot come. And sadly, the only reason they were seeking him was because they wanted to arrest him and have him put to death. What a tragedy, right? They have God in human flesh living and acting and teaching in front of them. And all they want to do is, is find him so they can destroy him. He's saying, the time's coming, you're not going to be able to observe me anymore because I won't in, in human flesh be in front of you. The in flesh opportunity is ending. But for those who will believe, and by the way, that ain't even included some of the religious leaders before it was all over, right? People like Nicodemus and others who did believe. Verse, end of verse 19 gives even hope for them. Because I live, you will live also. The difference for the disciples and those who believe in Him is that they will be able to go on observing and learning who Jesus is, what He's like, and build that experiential, relational uh, thing that they have going with Him. In fact, the fact that Jesus will go away in death to pay for our sins and rise again gives the reason why they and we will be able to live, right? I'm going to go die so you don't have to die. Then I'm going to raise from that because I live. Your life will go on, even if your body dies. As he said before he raised Lazarus from the dead, right? It's going to keep on going. And there's a sense that remaining a part of this world system and unbelief, he's saying, is really just living death. I find it interesting, our world's fascination with zombies living dead, when most of the world doesn't believe in Jesus and therefore are like living dead, living for things that bring death, for lies, for sexual sin, for grabbing hold of pleasure. That's just living death. You may think that you can keep on living that way, but it drags you down. It, it makes life worse for you and in the end brings eternal death. That's why he says, yeah, the world won't be able to see me. They'll think they're really living when they're really just walking dead men and women. Jesus paints the picture in verse 20 then. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And you just see all these, these different mergings together, right? He's just coming off telling us that, oh, the Holy Spirit will not only be with you, but in you. But in that day when He is in you, then you will know that, in fact, the Father and I are both in each other. Oh, well, if, if you're in me and I'm in the Father, well, that's, where, where are you? <laughs> you're in the Father too, right? By believing in Jesus, we enter into 
this amazing fellowship with the God of the universe who created all that there is, has complete total knowledge of everything. And that's where we dwell in this world. So that when things get hard, when life doesn't make sense, when we're attacked, when we're persecuted even, he says, you will be able to continue on by relying on that relationship. The relationship with the one who knows. And it's unlike anything that we've known in relationship with other human beings. He says, this will be yours. And it will have practical outcomes according to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Oh, sounds a lot like verse 15, doesn't it? He who loves me will keep my commandments. He just turns it around. You have my commandments? Well, that's good. You know what I want, right? You, want me to, you, you know that I want you to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I want you to know, you, want, you know that I want you to love your neighbor as yourself. I know you, want, you know that I want you to love one another as I have loved you. You know that husbands are to love their wives as Christ, as I, my example is of loving the church. Commandments, good to have them, but of not much good unless you do them. That's how you show real love for me. How, how it's demonstrated, what flows out of your love for me is obedience to me and what it is I want and what I'm doing in the world because that's what's best for you as well. And as John looked back on this statement and his life of obeying Jesus, remember that he's writing these things down as an old man. He was there present when Jesus spoke these words. He took them and over the course of decades then learned how to love Jesus, learned how to obey Jesus, and he is excited to write these words of Jesus down that aren't found in the other Gospels so that people can say, this is what it's all about. Being united with God, loving Jesus, therefore obeying his commands. And John can say, and it is good. That is the way I have been living now for all these 50, 60 years since I heard him say that. having loved Jesus for a lifetime. And he says, and when you do that, when you love me, guess what? Father loves you. I mean, how do you describe love between God the Father and God the Son? For eternity, they have loved each other. Can there be anything but love from the Father toward those who truly love his Son? Stop and think about it. Some of you are Many of you are parents, right? How do you feel towards someone who really loves your child and you can tell? Don't you just, don't they have a special place in your heart? Man, that person really loves and cares for my son, for my daughter. I really love them. It's so good. It warms my heart and makes me want to care for them too. The Father's love for us or for those who are he created, is already immense just because he made us, right? Even those who hate him, he loves. But Jesus here is describing a facet of love that comes by way of relationship because of the love we have for his son. There's a deepness and a richness that is fleshed out there. And then there's the son's love. 
at the end of verse 21. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. As we love him, of course, he's already loved us for eternity. He's loved us enough to give his life for us. But as we love him, then he says, I will love you. There's a whole another facet to his love that happens when we love him back and obey him. It's a delight in the one you love to know. And in Jesus' case, he says, I love to then disclose myself. Shine myself into him would be a literal way of saying it. As we love him, he love, helps, wants us to help to know him even more and better, more fully. That is a huge, unbelievable blessing that God the Son just is eager to share himself with us. I hope that's true in your relationships. As, some, as, you, as you have a mutual love with someone else, that you'd love to, to share who you are with that person. But how much better then when the person who wants to share his life with you is Jesus, God the Son. Does it make anything any difference for us? Absolutely. Listen to what, what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 9. I've been stating this without backing it up with Scripture a number of times, but here Paul says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. See, if, if you belong to Jesus, you do have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you. Maybe you're just getting to know that, learning to how to experience it. But if you have believed in Jesus and trusted him to be your Savior, the Holy Spirit does dwell in you. If the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in you, you are not a believer, you are not in Christ, and you are still dead in your trespasses and sins headed for hell. If you have believed in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. What an amazing thing. What an encouragement it ought to be for us living in this world. One last thing. It's not been a Thanksgiving sermon so much. On the other hand, I hope you've seen an immense number of things to be thankful for in this that even take you beyond I'm thankful for turkey and dressing and football and whatever else, right? I think you can add to my list, but here's a few things to be thankful for out of this passage. We should be thankful for the freedom to ask anything in Jesus' name, in his name, right? According to what he's doing, according to his will. We should be thankful that the Holy Spirit of God dwells in believers forever. Are you thankful for that truth and what it is he does? We should be thankful that He is our helper, our advocate, our comforter, our strengthener in all that life brings us, in all that we do and say and are called on to be. We can be thankful that the one who lives in us is the spirit of truth. Truth comes from Him, just like truth comes from the Son and the Father. We can be thankful that believers are bound up in the unity of the triune God. We can have a close, intimate relationship with God. And we are loved. We are loved by the Son who gave Himself for us, by the Father 
who loves his son in whom we are united by the Holy Spirit who comes and helps us with all that we need and gives us strength. You keep on adding to the list this week. Let's pray. Father, how do we not be thankful when you've said the things you've you said to your, your disciples, and then that was passed on down to us and, and the privilege of believing and, and being in Christ. Lord, help us to just nurture that and, and, and more and more display it in our lives, that we would, in fact, love you and be those who have your commandments and keep your commandments for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray.